What's up, hardcore humans? Welcome to the Hardcore Humanism Podcast. Today we are talking with singer, songwriter, musician, Des Rocks. Des has a really interesting story. His birth name is Danny Rocco, and he was originally in a band called Secret Weapons, which was signed to Epic Records. Secret Weapons put out an album in 2016 and toured with Panic at the Disco, Fall Out Boy, and Weezer, among others. And get this, before Des was signed, he was actually a lawyer who worked in the legal department of Epic Records. How cool is that? Then Des decided that it was time for him to be a solo artist. And he's already toured with the Struts and Mused and opened for the Rolling Stones for their Philadelphia show on their stadium tour back in the summer of 2019. And Des has a new EP out called This Is Our Life. Now, at Hardcore Humanism, our goal is to help you discover your life's purpose and work hard to achieve it. And on the Hardcore Humanism podcast, we talk with people who have overcome barriers to carve out their own path and worked hard to achieve their life goals. So one of the things that is so fascinating about Dez's career is that he is an independent artist, but with big dreams of bringing rock and roll back to the people. Now, when I was growing up, from a distance, it felt like there was an all-or-nothing decision for artists. Do you want to sign to a big record label, try to play stadiums, and take over the world? Or do you want to keep it a little bit more low-key as an independent or indie label artist? And the bands that hoped to be playing big stadium rock tended to be on major labels. But now it seems like artists have so many different pathways to achieve their professional goals, including artists like Dez, who have big-time aspirations and want their independence. So let's hear what Dez has to say. All right, Des, welcome to the Hardcore Humanism Podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, one of the things that may not be apparent in terms of how much success you've had is that you are an independent artist, which is something that when I was growing up was not as common, uh, but I think it's becoming a little bit more common now. And so why don't we start with just talking about how you wound up deciding to take that path? Yeah, well, you know what? It was, I never really had too many um means available to me other than just doing everything myself from a really early age um i didn't really come from uh, an extended network of people in the music industry or anything like that and i kind of set this precedent early on of just kind of figuring out everything on my own and just kind of doing my own diy hustle and then i recently teamed up uh with an amazing independent label uh, and i've been putting out all the records through them so um, it just kind of was instilled in me from an early age to just do things on your own. And just, if you want anything to get done, you got to do it yourself. And so when, when, for a lot of people, I mean, because you've toured with, and tell me if I'm wrong about this, but I mean, you've toured with Muse, you played with the stones. I mean, the rolling stones of all people, yeah. you know? And so, you know, when, when people think about an independent artist, they usually think like, oh, independent artist, that'll be a little bit more underground. And the more mainstream major label artists will be the ones that we're playing with, you know, someone like the Stones. And so when you were growing up, did you emulate these, these big time artists or were you into kind of the more underground stuff? Oh, no, I was always um, fulfill, like just constantly possessed by dreams of grandeur and i always wanted to make the biggest baddest music for as many people as possible and i think a lot of my teenage years were defined by being on some bill of like super cool indie artists who are staring down at their shoes playing the show and think that like 
I need to be as cool as possible. And me just getting up there and making an absolute fool of myself, trying to play this club to 20 people like it's Madison Square Garden and everybody being usually mortified, you know? And uh, it was definitely not easy growing up in a scene in Brooklyn and Queens, Long Island, where we're playing all these shows and everyone's trying to outcool each other. And I'm just this kind of odd man out on the bill thinking that I'm Bruce Springsteen playing the 80,000 people. Now, we talked about this a little bit before we jumped on, you know, because one of, one of the things that is, seems to be true of successful artists and, and successful people in general, quite frankly, is that when everybody told them to go right, they chose to go left, right? So here you are in a situation where, you know, and I, I, I vaguely remember probably the times that you were talking about where there's a lot of people, there's like a, you know, there's a renaissance of cool in the New York City area. And there would be a lot of pressure, like you said, to try to go that route. And here you are again, doing the Bruce Springsteen thing when you might be getting all these looks or people being like, Hey man, why are you doing that? And so like, how did you wind up still going down that, that path? I think because I have such a strong connection to what I love, you know, I love big music and big sounds so much. And I love big gestures and big swings creatively so much that it's why I spend 23 and a half hours a day living through pretty much objective hell so that those 30 minutes on stage are the greatest 30 minutes of my entire life. And I never really thought doing what other people was doing was worth all the grind off stage for me, you know? And I definitely, throughout the years, like, I'll say, like, I definitely flirted with it. You know, you have these kind of demons in your mind, like, man, maybe I should just be kind of doing some kind of like indie, synthy, poppy, vibey thing. And anytime that I spent a couple hours, like going down that rabbit hole sonically or otherwise back in the day, it would just lead to my worst work. And I didn't even like the music I was making. Um, so I think your odds of success in this business are just as slim if you do you or you try and emulate somebody else. So you might as well just do you. You know, and it's, it's interesting that you say that because you brought up the Bruce Springsteen thing, because, you know, when, when always growing up, people be like, well, what kind of music do you like? What kind of music do you like? And it was always an interesting question because I like, you know, a bunch of different stuff. But I remember when I saw Bruce Springsteen on the Rising Tour. It must, it must have been around 2001, 2002, whatever it was. And, and I remember being like, like I, and I wasn't even like a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. You know, I liked him. I think he was good, but I'm not like a, you know, like a, a diehard Bruce fan. But this guy, I don't know. He must have been in his 60s. He's already in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's already got millions of dollars. He comes out on stage in the Meadowlands. Like he is 17 years old. And if he doesn't get the show right, he's going to have to like never get out of his parents' basement in Jersey. You know, he plays for four <laughs> hours. He's, he's blood and guts. And I remember, and I remember right then I said, that's the kind of music I like. I like the kind of music where the artist understands that, that the, the, the relationship between the musician and the fan is sacred. And if you have the, and if you have the privilege of being on stage in front of people, I don't care if it's, if it's like you said, in front of 20 people, or it's in front of 200,000 people, you get up there and you play like it's the most important moment of your life. And, and, and that's the thing that then from there on in said, like, that's what I want. I don't care if it's synth pop. I don't care if it's rock. I don't care if it's metal. I just want to know that I can feel that you get how important this is. 
Amen, man. It's all vicarious. You know, it's like, for me as an audience, like if you watch a Queen concert, like you just see how much fun Freddie is having and they don't need to do it for the money. They have lots of money. And I think it's that same principle of people who go for so long, for so many years without making any money and keep doing it and just kind of live on the edge. Those are the people who you know are in it for the right reasons because there's something that they want to express to you every night and they want to create this incredible show and it's their passion and their livelihood. There's nothing worse than seeing an artist you love just get up there and phone it in. It's clear that they don't give a shit, you know? And and I'll tell you, like, I'm not going to name any names, but when I see that, and I've seen that a couple of times, like where two times in particular, I'm thinking about where there's an artist who's singing one of my favorite songs. And I'm, and I'm sitting there like, like this, and, I'm, and I've never seen them in concert before. And I'm like, this moment is spectacular. And they're like, kind of like almost embarrassed about how important it is. You know, they're like, they're, they're, they're kind of making silly gestures to the audience. Maybe their voice changes. And I'm like, I'm like, Hey, 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 this, I, I, I don't care if this song doesn't matter to you anymore. <laughs> this song matters to me. Like, and I know that it's like, it's their song and they should be able to sing it the way they want it to. But you know, I remember seeing the uh, uh, Glenn Fry before he died in that Eagles uh, uh, movie. And he was talking about how much he hated singing, like, take it easy and peaceful, easy feeling. Oh. But, you know, but like, which I, which I would get because like, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of those songs to begin with, but I could imagine the guy's probably been singing those songs for like, you know, 40 years. And yet the importance of going out there and singing it with the with with the intention of of not how important it is to you, but how important it is to the audience, you know, and that that to me is like it's so disappointing when that doesn't happen because like I like if, if, I don't know what it says about me, but I've invested a lot of emotional energy in this moment. Right, and you bought a ticket to see something vaguely uh, reminiscent of the song you love, you know, and see somebody not care about it is such an emotional detachment. I hate when artists come out and say like oh, this hit song means nothing to me. It's like, well, it means something to a lot of people and just kind of pop that emotional balloon for them, you know? I'll tell you who did something, who did something really interesting. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge Hall & Oates fan. I grew up being like a, a big Hall & Oates fan. Like they were right as, as I was, you know, getting into music. And I saw John Oates right before the lockdown. And, and, and what he did was so interesting, which was like, he he took the songs that were hit songs and he said, this is how we originally wrote them. Hmm. Like, like man, I don't know if I'm getting this right, but like man eater was a reggae song and, and he had his band play it, you know, and uh, like, you know, uh, out of touch was like supposed to be like an Elvis song. And he played it like that. And I was like, I was like, you know, I, I, and again, here's a guy who does not have to, I mean, you know, who does not have to put any effort, into impressing fans. I mean, this guy is like part of the, like the greatest, at least, you know, one of the greatest songwriting duos in history. I mean, I think, I think like technically they wrote like the most number one hits of a duo or something like that. And yet he's taken the time to do this like cool stuff with the songs that we love. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, and that's, and, and, and that gets back to this thing that you were saying before about like, and that's that, but that's also how you make it. It's not like he started doing that now he's probably been doing that since he was 13 taking the music that seriously yeah and it's like a childlike awe and wonder and enthusiasm for music in general that i think guides people into arenas in their 70s and 80s without a doubt 
it, and it's like, so let's get back to that original thing, right? That you were talking about, because it always fascinates me. And this isn't just for music. I mean, this is, you know, you, you see it when, um, you know, kids are like studying really hard and other kids are like, Oh, you know, like you're into you're 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 like you're into being competitive or you're into being successful or like you see that kid after basketball practice who's like running laps or like taking free throws and everyone's like come on man like why don't you why don't you like come and like hang out and and here you are like you're talking about playing a clubs to 20 people like it's an arena and and I'm just kind of curious I I don't understand why people would in like like why why do we discourage that uh, you know, I just think that people are so hyper-concerned with fitting in and looks and appearances. And I think historically, just doing anything different from what anybody else is doing is going to draw negative and positive attention. And you just hope that in the long run, it ends up being more positive than negative. You know, it's got to be polarizing. I just like so many bands, I feel like just sound the exact same. And I can't tell one from another and for my records, I want you to be like, oh, that's a Dez Rocks record, and I hate it, or I love it. You know what I mean? Anything in the middle, there's just no time for that. Yeah, and it's and it's it's interesting because the style of music that you play is not necessarily uh, what they would call, stylistically, is not what they would call punk. But But the attitude that you're talking about, right? Because punk, to me, if something is punk rock, not based on the style of music, it's punk rock if it's a confrontation. If like the idea is, I don't want you sitting comfortably in my audience. Now that could be, I don't want you sitting comfortably in the audience because I want to take you to like these like soaring heights. Like you can't sit down. It might be because I want you to think it might be because I want you to, to be uncomfortable. But again, it's that idea that I don't want music that you could just basically put on in the background. Like I want you to have to, to have to confront it. Yeah, we already have that music. You know what I mean? There's tons of it out there. We don't need any new music for the background. And I think punk, like, it's, it's an interesting point because it comes up a lot. Like, I think punk long ago stopped being a genre of music that was defined by certain musical elements or production choices and has morphed into much more of simply a cultural mindset. And that I think punk now is like most rappers. And I think... Um, that the idea of punk just being like power chords and like fast beats and shit, like is really gone. It's really just an ethos and a mindset and an attitude that you're going to do whatever the fuck you want creatively with no regards to anyone or anything. And whatever happens, happens. It doesn't need to sound good. It doesn't need to sound bad. It just is what it is. Like that to me is punk. Right. And it's, and the thing is that uh, is always interesting to me is that when the Ramones did that, it was punk because nobody had two minute songs. Right. Nobody was was going up there like all in like leather jackets and like nobody nobody was was going to the Lower East Side or you know what I guess what I would you know like the East Village and like playing at a place like CB's. But it wasn't. It's like you said. It's not the style of music that made it punk. It was the fact that they were willing to play a style of music that at that time wasn't being done. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think if ten years from now I put out a polka record. Like, that's going to be the most punk shit ever. You know what I mean? It's just like, and whatever powers that be, or just like, this is so whack, like, ban this man from all of the SPs. And it's like, you know, I think it's just like doing what you want because it is truly what you want to do. And, you know. You heard it here first on the Hardcore Humanism podcast, Des Rocks Polka 2022. Watch yeah. for it.
Oh, 2022. Okay, I gotta get to work on that then. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like you know, but but the other thing, you know, getting back to the to the punk concept, and this was something that was punk, was hip hop, was metal. I think before that was was blues. I mean, it was it was the idea of the decentralization of culture. Like decentralization, not only in terms of like, oh, if I don't live in New York or I don't live in LA, it can still matter. You know, and that's, I mean, that's, you know, like, Mo, I mean, like Motown was that way, right? It's like, it's like, okay, we're Detroit. Like we're going to make Detroit a place, right. you know, or like, you know, we're gonna, REM or like, you know, Indigo Girls, B-52s, like we're going to make Athens a place. And I think that that, you know, talking about like every, like punk has distilled, I think that that's what happened in hip hop. That's what happened in punk. And that's then how, however many years later, I think somebody like yourself could be sitting there and being like, well, I don't have to do things just, you know, I don't have to do, go through these paces, you know, sign with, with a particular type of label or whatever. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And, you know, it goes where it goes. And that's a, that's a very freeing mentality when you're talking about artistic create, you know, creativity, because when I was growing up, I mean, it had just started like hardcore punk in particular had just really come around, but that was not the expectation. It was not the expectation that you could just make success. Like the way you are right now, like it's like, you're not playing with the stones. If you're not hooked up with a major label, (laughs) nobody would even think about that. Yeah. I mean, you got to just also be in it for the long haul and keep going after all the adversity, I think that like really defines being independent artist is like, you know, many years of like looking at the bank account and being like, am I going to over withdraw this today? You know, that kind of thing. And being like really living and breathing the struggle and never giving in the sense of like, man, I just got to give this whole music thing up. Like no one messes with it. Cause if you just believe in yourself and the eventual vision and how you want it to look in your head 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that's the most important thing at your disposal. Now, now let me ask you about that because, you know, I work as a, as a psychologist with a lot of artists. One of the biggest questions that I have, I'm kind of curious your opinion about this is, you know, like, again, when I was growing up, the basic premise was you, you know, you try the music thing until maybe you're like 25, 30. And if you don't hit big, then you say, all right, I'm going to pack it in. I'm going to go get a law degree or whatever. In fact, you know, Scott Ian of Anthrax was talking about that because he and I came up around the same age where he was basically like, like, I'm all in on this, but I know that if I'm like 30, 35 and, and it's just not working out, I'll, I can apply my skills to go do something else if I need to, you know? So he was all in and then was like, but I, I have like a plan B that allows me to be all in. But then there's other people, like I think this was much more during hardcore, like you know, Minutemen, D Boone and Mike Watt, where the the fundamental premise was, no, 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 you're doing this forever. But you have a but you have a day job, right? That you that you do that that allows it to be forever. So you so it's kind of like this weird thing where you accept the fact that I'm always gonna be doing this for the love of it, but I'm always gonna be doing it. So I'm, I'm living like a different kind of rock star life. You know, I get to be a rock star at night, like you said, those 30 minutes for the rest of my life. But I give up that whole, like, you know, like, I, like, I, like I'm never going to have to have a day job kind of a thing. 
So, you know, you're more in the thick of it right now. How would you go about it or how have you gone about making those choices? It's been all of the above, to be honest. Like I totally understand all sides of it. Like I've done the day job hustle. I've done the leave your job and uh, like just go for it and go for it until who knows what will happen. Like there are just so many practical realities of living life. You know, we don't live in a time anymore where you can just kind of like squat in some apartment in Alphabet City and basically live off nothing. The world is such a more expensive and artist hostile place these days. Um, So I totally understand all like practical considerations to making your art. And I just kind of wish we lived in a more artist friendly culture, like the way that Canada will subsidize artists and really help them out. Cause there are just so many incredible artists out there who like, if they could have just held on another 12 months, another 18 months, like who knows what would have happened, you know? Yeah. And so like in your, in your mind, are you basically like, look, I'm doing this forever, period. I'm always going to be making albums. I'm always going to be doing shows during the times where like, you know, the money's rolling in. I won't work. If the money isn't rolling in, maybe I'll get a job. But the thing that's set is I'm doing this forever. Or are you kind of like, look, I'm riding this out for as long as I can. And I'm just going to see what happens. No, I'm always going to create art and music and make things and build things. And I've just been blessed and fortunate enough where I was able to survive some of the cold years and the hunger years and be able to make a living making music and making art. Um, and yeah, man, it's, it's, it's my all-consuming passion and the idea of going back to any sort of like nine to five thing is definitely nightmare fuel that actually keeps me constantly working 24 seven. And, and that's the thing that, that I'll, I'll, you know, I'll talk to people about oftentimes. And I think is, is something that's good for people coming up to think about is like, listen, like, there, there again, and this was this was very much perpetuated, I think, by my generation and the generation before it was that there was this this sort of sense of like, all right, there's only like two dozen people that get to be rock stars or movie stars, whatever. But the 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 impression that was given was that they just kind of were from birth. You know what I mean? Like that, that sense of like, you know, you like a, like a Jim Morrison. I'm not, don't get me wrong. I, I don't know anything about his work ethic or anything like that, but there was this sense, like when Jim Morrison was coming up, like this guy was just a rock star in the womb, you know what I mean? And so he gets to be a rock star. And like, if you watch like the doors movies, it's like, he basically just kind of, you know, decides one day, like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do this. And he practices a little bit and, oh my God, he's got this, you know, like the Ray Manzarek thing. Be like, Hey, let's go make a million dollars. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's how it happened. And, um, all the, if you look at almost all the movies, like La Bamba and all that kind of stuff, like they all basically have that fundamental premise, you know? And so on the, on the one hand, that was like this, this is very, like, it was very intoxicating. Like, Oh, what if, what if you get to be one of those people? But I think the reality is, especially now, is that if you want to be one of those people and you want to have not have a day job, you have another kind of day job. Like, like being a musician is a middle-class life, like all the way through, man. You got to be working all the time for that. Oh, constantly. Yeah. And if, if you're not, I mean, things like move so quickly. Like for me, I'm just constantly inspired to always evolve the sound and always change things. I mean, being a musician um, and a recording artist and 
2020 could not be a more polar opposite job than it was 30 years ago or a career path. You know what I mean? It was such a different business. It was such a different climate. Um, yeah, it's a totally different kind of thing, you know? Like I can't, I don't, I, you can't imagine like Prince doing like Instagram lives and like and talking to people for like two hours. You know what I mean? Like it's it's totally different. Well, and 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 I think you know maybe what would be I, I personally would love to know. I mean, like what is a day in the life of an independent artist? Like a, you know, like again, because you're in you're in that very specific category where you're saying like, oh, I'm not necessarily working a day job right now, but I got to be working all the time, right? So. Uh, maybe we should even do this a little bit like pre COVID and then maybe talk about like now, but like what, what does a day look like for yeah. someone who wants to, who wants to make this happen? Well, I wake up at a, at a pretty normal time and like have breakfast and I'll often just go straight to my studio spot in sunset park, Brooklyn. And I'll just work on music all day, every day. And, you know, you kind of sprinkle it in with like calls to management calls to agents and the rest of your team and your squad. Um, and I'll spend a lot of time just writing visual ideas and story ideas and just sort of planning how I want the live show to look. And usually in the evening, pre-COVID, then my band would come to my spot and join me and we rehearse for the rest of the night. Um, so it's really like an all-day, all-night sort of thing, without a doubt. Now, now, how did you build your team? And like, it, I mean, and, and like, were you doing things like, you You know, I, I just happen to know personally, like you got like just an amazing PR team and you know it, it's and I'm assuming that your other teams are are therefore fantastic as well like wh- what what like like how did you, how did you wind up building that because most people st- stereotypically they go to a label and the label then kind of does a lot of that you know not always but like how'd you build your own team I spent so much time in the early days and like on and off throughout my career just trying to hit people up and be like, yo, yo, check this out, check this out, check this out. Even when I was like a little kid standing in front of Roseland Ballroom, handing out CDs after shows and taking the train home every night. Like that really, it's just kind of like my hustle nature. It's like a very New York kind of vibe and attitude. And I would just hit up tons of people on email, DM, text, anything, be like, hey, like, here's what I'm about. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to say to the world. Here's my music. You know what I mean? Like, are you down? And they got like 999 no's before one people in each position in the team said yes. So, hey, listen, you know, thanks so much for coming on. We got the, we got the word from management that we got to end up. Uh, any, any last words, any last piece of advice to the people out there listening in? I would say that if you feel passionate about needing to express something to the world creatively, musically in any other format go down it pursue it foster it and understand that it takes a lot of time and a lot of failure and that's part of the process um but that you just need to keep moving forward and it's those failures that are going to really define the end all right my man well listen best of luck with everything and uh hope you have continued success and uh hope you get a chance to come back on the show thank you take it easy So there you have it. Des Rocks talking about his developing career as an independent artist with a big stadium rock sound. One of the things that I really took away from the conversation with Des is that there are so many different ways that a person can connect to and even pursue a career in music. There are so many different paths towards being an artist, someone who connects to the industry or as a fan. 
I think the key is, no matter how someone chooses to express their creativity, pursue their career, or enjoy their music, it's the recognition of how important music can be to people. I know for me, music has always felt like a sacred experience. It's so much more important to me than just listening to a cool song or having a fun time at a concert. Music matters to me. It's something that helps me open my mind and express myself and even helps me understand how I feel. And one of the things that I know I look for in the artists that I revere is that passion, that recognition of how special music can be, how it can transform people's lives, give them a sense of purpose and connection to something bigger than themselves. And it's so inspiring to see Des feeling that passion for big stadium rock music through a unique and independent path. I would say for anyone out there, find that thing that you're passionate about that lights you up and get into it in whatever way makes the most sense for you. And take the lesson from Des that for whatever you love, there's lots of different avenues to pursue it in a way that can make a difference in your life. I want to thank my wife and Hardcore Humanism co-founder, Island Booman, for producing this podcast, and my brothers in Odd Zero for letting us use Odd Zero music. If you like what you hear in the podcast, subscribe on your favorite app, give us a rating, and write a review. And if you'd like to take the next step and make change in your life, check out the Hardcore Humanism Therapy and Coaching Program at HardcoreHumanism.com. So get at it, hardcore humans. See you next time.